This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's this new group out of India called The Wild Origins. Sounds familiar, right? (laughs) But there's three youngsters, Via, Brian, and Prish, who have taken it upon themselves. They're very, very, very small right now. And if you give them some love on Instagram, the wild origins, one word, go give them a follow. These guys are tackling wildlife conservation in India and are all three pro the idea of bringing hunting to India. They're wildlife conservationists, they're herpetologists. They want to showcase all the things that are great about India and all the things that can be improved. And they think that hunting can be a a tool and a management mechanism by which they could improve the people's uh, livelihoods, the benefits that the meat and, and the animals and the value and the money can bring to the table. Anyway, I wanted to have an initial conversation with these boys. They're brand new, a uh, little nervous in terms of doing a podcast. I think it's the first time they're actually doing a podcast. But just enjoy what they have to say. Give them a follow, The Wild Origins, and give them a little bit of an encouragement to say, man, just keep fighting the fight because they're about to wade way deep into it. And they're the next generation, which is super exciting. So enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. 
There we go. There we go. So out of out of the three of you, you obviously live in different parts of India, right, Via? Yes. Yeah. How did you guys get together? The social media. Magic of internet. The magic of internet, just like we're doing right now. Yep. And like with me and Priyansh, it was even funnier because uh, we actually met on this online course. Uh, so around lockdown time, that was around like the COVID time. So I don't know about Priyansh, but I was like, I need to do things. I relate to wildlife. I was fresh out of school. So we did this course on herpetology. And the only other Indian that was there on the course was Priyansh. And so, yeah, that's how we connected. Priyansh, how old are you? I am just turned uh, like 19. Okay, Brian, how old are you? 20. So, let me ask this to you, Brian. You guys have, and here's where I think a lot of people don't understand what's happening in India. And it's, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric that is used that is, oh, hunting is saving animals, hunting is saving wildlife. And that is true in lots of places around the world. But there's also lots of places around the world. There's also places, I wouldn't say lots, there's places around the world that have great wildlife that have no hunting. And India has amazing, amazing wildlife. Like when I spoke with uh, Martin and I spoke with Prasant, the wildlife diversity of India is absolutely freaking mind-blowing. The predators that you have, tigers, leopards, lions, is essentially the people that always like say, oh, you know, lions, leopards, tigers live in Africa. No, 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 they live in India. You've got wolves, you've got bears, you've got, um, I think you've got all sorts of, you've got a couple of predatory cats. You have hyenas, I think. Yep. Uh, yeah, yep. we do. It's cr- it is crazy. And then obviously you've got all the antelope species, all the diversity of it. You've got elephants, you've got rhinos, you've got crocodiles, you've got literally everything. The problem is you just, there is no hunting. And so... From a, from a young person's perspective, and I'll go around the room because I want to hear from each of you. Why, have you. why have you locked in on this train that is hunting is, a, is something that we need here in India? Because you would have expected as a youngster to have fully been influenced by the animal rights lobby and the rhetoric tied to animal rights. And that MP influenced through your, your zoological studies. So, Brian, why? Why hunting? Well, uh, I don't know. This is not going to sound very, like, scientific or, uh, I guess, intellectual. But, uh, you know, like, the idea of eating wild meat, I think, is, like, something which I have not had the chance to do my entire life. And uh, I keep looking at people from, like, all over the world, like, Australia, Africa. You, the US, like everyone has, you know, I'm like, yeah, this is the deer I hunted. It's going to be in my freezer for like the next one year almost. And like, none of that is part of anything that we do here. And 
it's not like we don't have the deer to hunt. It's like we have enough animals that we can use properly. So yeah, that's I think where it started. And then learning about all the other benefits that come along with it. Prish? I think for me, uh, like it was the, uh, like the conflict part, which like, uh, like pushed me into it more, like to control the, like, uh, the, this human animal conflict. Hey, Via? Right. So, let's track back a bit. The, statement that hunting is not prevalent in India is actually wrong. Hunting is extremely common in India amongst the tribals and amongst the rural villages. And there's another aspect to it which is the entire understanding of poaching. That is also a form of hunting, of course, illegal. Now the reason I got onto this bandwagon was purely because I saw that there is hunting happening anyway. I saw that nobody is benefiting from that. Not the animals, not the humans, not the people who live around them who are actually the poorest section of the society. So what I understood was hunting is anyway going to happen, poaching is anyway going to happen. If we can make it into a regulated process, especially since we live in a capitalistic society, which benefits the local community, similar to Africa, the local community then has incentive to save these animals. See, we get reports of tigers or wild boars or any other animal getting trapped or getting poisoned. We have, we have reports of elephants who uh, have been fed bomb food, food with bombs in them, so when they consume it, it just blows up, their faces just blow up. Why is this happening? This is happening because the locals are now very, very uncomfortable. They, you know, you, you said that India has amazing wildlife um, despite not having any hunting. That's true. But we also have a really high rate of tolerance. And tolerance is the reason why we have this wildlife. But tolerance has a limit. Mm-hmm. You know, and that threshold is now being questioned very, 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 very importantly, very, very, with a lot of force. Because people are sick of it. You know, people are, people have the feeling that we are being exploited. And the entire understanding of conservation is just through national parks. Now, you know, like in the US, a national park like Yosemite is a national park for the public. In India, it's not like that. You know, a common man in India cannot visit a national park. It's too expensive. Does a common man in India want to visit a national park? Absolutely, yeah. You'll see, okay. You, okay. You'll, you'll see the certain section of society, the middle class and the lower middle class are forced to go into zoos to learn about animals because yeah. they can afford the ticket of a zoo. But they can't afford to go to a national park. The resorts that are around a national park are insanely expensive. To enter a national park for a single safari costs you anywhere between 3,000 to 5,000 rupees. That's about 60 odd dollars. <laughs> that's really expensive and that's one <laughs> trip you know so uh, I feel like hunting is anyway happening in India and it's about time that we regulate it so that illegal activities are less regulated legal activities are more and the people benefit that was that was my reason of understanding 
Via and and Brian and and Prish add on from what Via responds here, but it it can't be hunting because hunting is illegal, so it has to be poaching. Yes. Yes. See, I'll I'll quickly give you guys. I'll quickly give everybody a small example of. I'm extracting this from the Wildlife Act, which is one of the primary acts in India. I'll give you the situation. Imagine I'm a farmer. Now I have land and I'm growing my crop. And an antelope, a blue bull, a nilgai or something comes along and starts raiding my crop. Now by accordance of the law, I'm allowed to put that animal down. But the law states that I must first go to the divisional officer, the forest officer, the, the, the authority there, then that will get translated to the NTCA, the National Tiger Conservation Authority, then go to the Ministry of Environment, and it will all trickle back down, giving me permission to put down that animal. However, there's a catch. It says that till the permissions come back down, that animal must stay put in the same position. <laughs> So uh, I am obliged, I am obligated, I am allowed to hunt, but I have to turn into a poacher to save myself. And you really? all know how the Indian system works. You know, these permissions can take weeks. Mm-hmm. Oh, then it, I, I heard something else. Prish, are you allowed to use the meat? If no. you take the animal down, you're not no, allowed to use it. No, you're not allowed to use it. You've got to bury it. Thousands of tons of meat. You just bury it. It's technically the government's property still. Like, every animal, it's... Even after it's dead, like, if you even take, like, a deer shed antler also and keep it in your house, I don't think that's, like, pretty... I don't think it's legal at all. I don't think it is. Interesting. Everything is new. Interesting. Every single thing you... Nobody thinks of how much damage we're causing to that particular soil, you know, because the government will just choose a random open area and they'll declare it as that's the area we're going to dig up and we're going to bury 50-odd wild boars in it. Nobody thinks whose land it is, how it's going to affect the soil. It's not calculated by sites. You know, um, so yeah. Let me ask this question. The Obviously, human-wildlife conflict, lots of animals, and India has lots of people. What is the sentiment out in the rural landscapes? Is it positive towards wildlife? Is it negative towards wildlife? Is it indifferent? Do they take things into their own hands? Are they more worried about government influence? Like, what's the scenario there? Yes, it um, depends where you, you ask. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I mean, I don't know much about, you know, the general thing, but uh, I think it depends, like, some people would see them, like, it depends on their own, like, personal experiences with the animals that I, as far as I've seen. Like, if their livestock has been taken, and even if they have not suffered too much economic loss, I don't think they'll be that antagonistic towards them. But, you know, on the flip side, if they did... And if it's devastated them in some kind of way, then their opinions would change. So I think it's always in a flux, but I think we will probably hurt better. Would you agree, Pini? No, you're right. You're absolutely right. It is, it, is, it is somewhat that. My understanding is, see guys, animals and religion are extremely closely knitted in India. So 
if you ask this question to a villager, the first response will always be, no, we worship them. Whether it's the tiger, whether it's the cobra. Because the influence of animals in religion, especially the Hindu religion, is so strong. You know, um, but in between that, in between that, I can be saying this statement and tomorrow I can lose my daughter, a nine-year-old daughter, ten-year-old daughter to a leopard. And that will definitely change my perception. However, it will end with the understanding that, you know, it was God's will. It will always end with that. Uh -huh. But when we think of wild boars, uh -huh. or when we think of black bucks, you know, these are animals who are, of course, cherished and, uh, um, you know, they are, they're idolized, but they're causing me monetary loss. Now, I'm somebody who's earning less than $150 a month or $100 a month, and I'm being left with 30 odd dollars, and I have a family of four, and I'm living with no, next to no resources, very similar to Africa, where I have to either walk some distance to get water, or, you know, I have to do a lot of physical labor in very intense, we are a tropical country, so in very intense heat. And, you know, that is where I'll start feeling helpless. So I would say people are feeling helpless, and they are saying that you have questioned our tolerance enough. It's time to bring some change. Prish, anything to add? Um, I don't think like there's like anything like left to like add in this because I think Kavir uh, like summed it up like pretty well. Hey, hey. <laughs> there's there's almost like Robbie, there's almost like a very, very big divide because we're a developing nation. So what's happening is that certain sections of society are getting rich very fast, while certain sections of society are remaining poor. Now the privileged people don't realize that everything comes from here. The food, the grains, the <laughs> security of the country, you know, privileged people don't join the army. You know, it's people from the villages who are fighting for us on the border. Mm -hmm. So at every level, we are always coming down to our villages. That's what keeps us secure. That those are the people who really make this country what it is. Now, this section of privileged people are the ones dictating the laws, are the ones getting influenced by animal activism, are the ones who are not spending enough time in those regions or areas understanding the plight of these people. They're the ones who go to supermarkets, get their food, come back home, cook it up without realizing that there's a whole, uh, you know, pro pro progress and uh, process to this in entire... Uh, yeah, so there's that gap. It's a gap. But the villagers will always, always look for some kind of security. That's for sure. They have learned. Are the antelope species revered just as much as the tigers and cobras and all that kind of stuff, like the wild boar, the black buck, the nilgai, the axis, they hold the same status as those other animals? I think the wolf is the only animal. Not on the same level, I think. Go ahead, Prish. Um, um, I don't think that, uh, like, uh, uh, the wild boars, or like the... Uh, the Neil guys uh, have like the same level of uh, uh, like respect that uh, like snakes get or like tigers get. 
it's like very a uh, contextual like according to the uh, uh the religion and the folklore and the tribal uh well, like the mythologies and stuff so yeah. Ryan, what do you say since you're from south india do you think you can give us some because we have this diversity of animals so what about south sure south uh i can't speak much about the religious importance because i don't know i pretty far removed from that like i don't think the cobra part yes i agree people definitely see the cobra as like a entity of like god in hinduism but i that is the cobra is not just the one only snake here and like so we got like a bunch of other snakes and they are definitely not on the same level or i don't think even a little bit because like i'm not a hindu so i really don't know the intricacies of the religious part of it but as far as i know and plus i live in a city so i think like the main religious entities in animals that i see people worship are like tiger elephant probably cobra i don't see many people here worshiping other animals like the herbivores brian you make a good point and i'd like to hear from you, Brian, first, and then obviously anybody else can chime in. There is certainly a, a hurdle to overcome in India specifically because of the religious intertwining with certain animals. You, we've seen it with cattle, right? You can't kill a cow in India. Now you can't kill a feral dog in India. The prey base is unbelievable for you. Say what? The cattle one, well, that's in, like, very specific states, more so in North India, because, like, here in the South, beef is, like, you know, pretty popular still. Like, it's all got to do with, like, which state is, like, which party is, like, ruling in which state. That kind of dictates, like, the cattle stuff. Like, in, like, the southern states, like, Kerala, Tamil Nadu and all, like, beef is pretty popular. But, yeah, stray dogs, you're right. That's the case. What I was trying to get at here is a statement of yours. Because religion is so intertwined, and I'll use American context to help here. And I don't, again, you guys are very young in India, and I don't know what's happening in India, but I'll tell you what's happening in America. America, there's, this, there's a concept, not a concept, but a movement right now called the Great Dechurching. 50% of people that used to go to church don't go to church anymore. Is the, uh, let me ask this, is the religious fervor, and I think fervor is a, a pretty good term, you know, for religion, you know, in India, I would say, with the, to the majority, is that fervor decreasing, staying the same? I, what I'm trying to get at here is this, like, I, ideology of religion tied to animals, tied to worship, waning in India, or is it still very, very, very strong in your cohort. It may be very strong to, like what Via said, in terms of the, the elites and the people who have a lot of money and power. But what's the, the young cohort? Are they doing the same thing as their parents? Or is it like, mm, things are starting to tame out, Brian? Well, certainly depends. I guess the more metropolitan the cities get, the less... Uh, conservative orthodox people yet i think that's common everywhere uh, well yeah I, especially like i see a lot of like most of my hindu friends like they are not like the same level of hindu as their parents i don't think that's 
a wrong statement to make because like their values and like their what they feel is right or wrong kind of changes. But um, yeah, that's I think that's pretty accurate. I don't think it's an India thing. I think it's just like a generational thing. It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, from my understanding and my limited knowledge, I feel every animal and every every animal has some sort of connection to religion. Now that can be Hinduism, that can be any religion. Um, barring the wolf, the wolf uh, I think is the only animal who is not revered uh, or consider, uh, considered precious in any religion at all, and that's why we see its numbers dwindling at another level and you know they're completely neglected but every other animal every other bird uh even aquatic species you know like the genetic dolphin for example or 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 um, the karyal crocodile for example they're all in some part of some religion somewhere so um yes they are very prevalent in religion and as far as the young lot is concerned again Somebody who's been born and brought up in New Delhi, Bombay, or Bangalore, or any other major city, does not have that much of an affiliation to religion as their parents would have. And you're right to make the example of the states, because we are, you know, the entire world is anyway influenced by the Western understanding of things a lot. So um, I think when people think of Vedic science, like when we pick up Hinduism and we think of Vedic science, there's a lot of interest in Ayurveda or in yoga or in anything similar to that. But when we just talk about religion and idol worship, it's definitely changing and it's definitely coming down. The numbers is coming down. Prish, anything to add? I mean, I was a, like a born a, like atheist. Like no one in my family believes in religion anyway. So I don't really think I have much to add. Chris, do you live in a big city? Yeah, I live in Mumbai. Live in Bombay? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I'm I'm curious. Why is the wolf separated? Uh, uh, like I don't know. Go ahead, Brian. No, no, no. Uh, I don't know. Is there like any kind of? I was about to ask you guys, like, if there's any like uh mythology where the wolf is like the bad guy. Like I, that's that in Europe. So nobody then, in India worships wolves, right? That's like a no-no. Yes, they're not mentioned. But people worship dogs. No, the wolf is not mentioned in any religious text, in any religious scripture, in in you know any kind of statue. It's not. It's just revered as the negative uh, demon who, and that's primarily because they, the numbers were so high at one point that they were picking up livestock. And again, damaging the rural population. So it's the rural population that made this connotation in the first place. You know, the urban population gets excited when a video of a wolf in a national park comes up. But the rural population is sick of them. Um, and it combines with the, with the mm -hmm. idea of religion and it just becomes stronger. Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, there's so much of footage of rural people in villages um, covering the dens of wolves from both sides and throwing in fireballs and just killing puppies and wolves together. They target whelping mothers first. They don't like to go after individual animals. You know, so th uh -huh. that's the story of the uh -huh. wolf. But uh -huh. yeah, I mean, birds and everything, they're, 
they're considered God. They're considered gods. Let me, uh, I want to bring forth a, a sort of a very clear example of what you guys are getting into. Obviously, you guys just, um, you've started a social media feed. Your social media feed is called Wild Origins. I, I, I think it's quite interesting that you're Wild Origins and we are Please Blood Origins. Please don't sue us. It, um, we're totally inspired by you. It's totally inspired. It's pure oh, no, inspiration. No, 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 no. There's, 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 <laughs> No, no, yeah. no. There's, 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 there's actually, we've actually got much bigger things to talk about after we get off this podcast. Um, but you guys put a video out. You put a, a reel out about blood or uh, about trophy hunting. Yeah. And obviously, you guys are are speaking to Indians of similar age. Um, And I obviously had to weigh in because that, you know, trophy hunting rhetoric is very, it's a very interesting rhetoric. Let me ask this, because what I saw in that post was that it seems like the vast majority of Indians right now are being influenced by what they see as trophy hunting coming out of Africa. Because that's what I saw in the responses. I'll let you start. Via. Yes, you're absolutely right, Robbie. Uh, India today is a collection of people, especially the the generation born after the '90s. We are a collection of people who were heavily influenced by the likes of Disney, and we have that Disneyfication in our blood. So we are viewing animals as, you know, as gentle creatures who don't cause any harm. And when we see a photograph of a hunter next to an animal with a gun posing, we have been fed that information because if you see the trajectory of animal activism in India from the 80s or 90s, you'll see that what we have consumed is majorly against what is reality. You know, no, nobody ever told us that a hunter would pay X amount more than, than photo tourism and build, help build schools and this and that. We never knew that. You know, so for us, we are totally influenced by that. And that's what you see in the responses. People who have been influenced just through a singular methodology, which is save this animal or it's going to go die and become extinct. And then they carry some kind of emotional... Um, um, responsibility about that extinction. You know, so it's it's fair. People are afraid that we'll go back to Corbett times where tigers were almost extinct, but it's not possible. It's just not possible. If it was, it would have happened then too, right? But we were still at, I think, 1100 or 1200 tigers when the great extinction happened. So, yeah, it's it's a big divide. Hey, hey. It's a big divide. Hey, hey. Brian? Yeah, um, totally agree. But then the thing with, uh, well, the responses we got from that reel were very interesting because we have a lot of people that uh, have come on leading like personal attacks aside. Like they, they, most of the responses are like a fear of like, oh, if we allow this, then this and this would happen and corruption would happen and all the money will go to like these people and not to these people and like it's all just 
they they refuse to like look at the good side. Like they just refuse to like even for a second look at all the good that's come out of it. Nowhere have has anyone like I don't even think people listen to the real. They just like heard the word trophy hunting. In yeah, they just trophy hunting bad. Yeah, they just like disregarded it completely. Some people even like called me. I mean, they said that I'm being paid by people to say this. Can I'm broke? I can't even like afford my rent right now. <laughs> I need to ask money from my parents. Prish, you were the one on that reel, right? Yeah. How do you get? How do you guys decide who's gonna say what? Um, uh, whoever's uh, like available, like makes a video. We like this is the topic together, and like we share our uh, uh like our uh, this um, uh, uh, like outputs, and that's how we do it. It's not who has the biggest balls of the of the day to get think, into a fight. Well, Priyansh, I think it's a a comment replying section is like where you like take duties. Like I'm the one like dealing with the comments today. You deal with it tomorrow. Priyansh really very badly wanted to do the trophy hunting thing. So like like I wanted to do the prop one because I like rocks, and Priyansh wanted to do the trophy hunting thing. So like I think that also is like a back and like just the topics that we like. You know what I would, and this is one of the things that I wanted to talk about today, and and this will continue beyond this podcast. Is I would challenge you three to see if you can always, if you can step outside the box in terms of your thinking, because you're essentially dealing with a blank canvas. India has no hunting; they have, as you said, a very disnified version of hunting. You have an opportunity to put message out there that's actually a little different because of the audience that you're targeting. So, for instance, if I was in your shoes, that trophy hunting reel, I would have used it as an opportunity. And here's where I think it's going to pay dividends for you because you know it better than anyone is I would, for all of these like controversial pieces like trophy hunting, I would come out the gate and be like as, as brutally honest as you can. What do I mean by that? I mean this. You could start a reel by saying, do you typically see a big, you know, rich, fat American standing behind a lion when it comes to trophy hunting? And you can say yes. In your reel. So you can address it like head on. You, like, you just address it to say, yep, you're right. Before you even put it in the comments, you're right. But did you know? And give one piece like this person, this village, this, you know, this person benefited. And I've got example after example after example after example. And what you're doing is you're just, what, what I think you guys need to do more than anything is you're essentially in an education campaign. You're in an awareness education campaign at this stage. And just building this sort of narrative in which you can just be like, guys, like, I think we've had, a, I think we've been hoodwinked a little bit. But you've got to do it in such a way that it's just, it's not like, like that trophy reel did. You've got everyone just like, 
like it really caused everyone like a sh it was you you went after a shock factor that's that's the point as well but there's also a way i think right now that you guys are you have the ability to really put things across that you're like hey did you know because what you're going to find out is that there's going to be a lot of people that respond to you going oh i had no idea yeah yeah yeah, more personal stories. Yeah. yeah, that's something that we should yeah, You're absolutely right, Robbie. You're absolutely right. Um, we are we are in the process. Uh, next next weekend, I'm meeting farmers in Haryana who have suffered great losses due to wild boars. And uh, we are going to be utilizing our content in, you know, in a new direction where we come up with different techniques of saying the same thing. I mean, I love the suggestion you gave as to how three or four simple words and how we frame them can firstly it'll involve the audience. You know, uh, we, are, we are sort of catching the subconscious mindset and then telling them an alternate reality. So um, I think it's super interesting the way you put it across that, you know, is this how you generally see it? Well, let me tell you otherwise or let me tell you something interesting otherwise. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we are still... A little uh, new to the entire situation and the problem general problem that we have is that we have so much of information to absorb that with our you know separate individual schedules we somehow are able to um, maybe not get it to the point uh, which happened with the trophy hunting and the tiger one as well you know if you've seen the tiger on the original the first one that you commented on that you like um, we got people's attention because it was a viral video that people had already seen and that when you see it emotionally catches you and then we tell you another side of it you know um that's how we just sort of right at the end fit in how rural people should have equal weightage so to say um but you're you're right i mean we we definitely need to uh, bring in that flair you know yeah, the other thing, not just flair, but I think you've also got to pose questions and I think you put, you've got to honor and here again is where from a, from a blood origins perspective, we've, we've decided this is how we interact. So you may purposely put a video out and say, we want to know, and I don't know how you would couch it, we, you could figure it out, but what is your impressions of hunting? Get the audience's reactions to it. And, and those reactions are going to be probably just like the trophy hunting reel. But instead of you like countering every single comment that comes into that reel, what you're going to do is you're going to just say, appreciate your comment. Thank you so much for your comment. Because what you've just done is you've just assimilated. You've, you've assimilated where their mind is at. Now the next piece of content is you take that one piece of where that person's mind at as in, and you say, this is why, this is, let me change your mind here. And you literally have 20 of them or 25 of them that you can build things against. Just boom, boom, boom. Right? Same, it's, it's almost like you're just flipping the script like, okay, let me, let me hear, let me understand what you believe. Let me understand where you sit. And now all of a sudden you, you, you build a treasure trove of 
this is the box that they believe in. Now let me start throwing stones at the box and breaking down this rhetoric that we know to be different and to be, you know, false, really. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I think uh, this initiative of ours, Wild Origins, was it was basically a long time coming kind of situation. And I think we've discussed things for so long that we've sort of forgotten where we stand as, you know, having a singular identity and then, like you said, replying to people in a different way, um, creating and constructing the idea of a conversation instead of just shutting people down or, you know, something like that. Um, that that's something we, we need to definitely practice individually and then together. Um, so that it sort of forms that identity and helps us. Yeah, you, I mean, and questioning yeah, is, is a great, great way of um, analyzing where the audience stands so that we can prepare ourselves that way instead of just throwing out shit like, hey, here's trophy hunting, it's awesome. You guys are all wrong. <laughs> you know? Prish. Yeah. I like agree with you. You don't have to agree with me. And I know. But like you are right. I mean. Yeah. But I think. Yeah, the, it was. It's. It, go ahead, Brian. Well, no, no, no. I think like what you're like, uh, trying to convey is like that uh, replying to a particular comment. And there's like probably like a hundred other people that believe in that comment as well. And so you're like, like you know, speaking to those hundred people that haven't like commented at you yet. I. I I'm going to um I just want to I'm going to bring up that post quickly because I got Go ahead. and I I got some very good feedback from close friends my girlfriend other random people who who were so nice in saying what they said they said you know we're open to understanding what you're saying because it's very interesting and we all know that you know the situation has been like this for a long time and we we feel for the people that you're talking about but don't forget that you know everything we don't. You know? So when you say something, it has to cater to the audience first and not just your understanding of that situation, which may be relatively advanced than, you know, than somebody else's. So uh, that's something I think we are looking to build at slowly, slowly. And these, I mean, your inputs are very, very helpful in that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think... Um... I'm trying to find there was uh, this guy. So I only responded to one. Um, and it gives you an idea. So there's a, obviously there was, there was a, a lot of comments, right? And a lot of people that came on there. Um, even one of them. So it was funny. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll just talk to the. So there's, if everybody's that's listening, uh, Wild Origins is the. Uh, the Wild Origins is the Instagram post. Uh, this is the trophy hunting post. You know, I'm just scrolling through. One guy said, sorry for my harsh replies, which I deleted earlier. That's already like a step in the right direction. Someone going, hmm, I'm reading through these comments. And people aren't acting as typically people do on social media. Oh, there's, they want to be a little bit more you know, intellectual in their responses. They want to be more hum human in their responses versus just like calling everyone names under the sun. 
But then interestingly enough, you've got this guy, this vigilante wild guy. Yeah, that's me. That's you? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yep. Please go ahead, Robbie. <laughs> oh, okay. Now I get it. Okay, now I get it. Because I was like, I read the comment, like that the, there's a bunch of like pro hunting comments. Yeah, this is funny now. Okay, now I really get it. There's a bunch of pro hunting comments. And then I, then I see the comment like, yeah, this person is right. The person in this video has clearly no understanding of what he's saying, hasn't done any research, angry faces. Like, what the hell? Like, this person's pro hunting and then hates this person. Well, now it's. <laughs> It's you. Yeah. It's, oh crap! Uh, too funny. So that that uh, that wildlife photographer. If you saw like the first thing I said to him, the very first thing I said to him, I said this. I said I can completely understand your viewpoint and why it was shaped the way it is. Like I just gave him like right off the bat. I said to him, "You're right. I get it. I completely get where you're coming from." And then I just gave him like, hey, but did you know? And his response to me, his very first thing back to me was thank you for your reply. Immediately what I did was I set up a, a mechanism by which I wanted to have a discussion with you. I wanted to have a very cordial back and forth kind of scenario. And his, after that, he said, while I do understand your opinion, the facts are true. And here's where he sort of stumbled upon himself, because then he said, trophy hunting has seemed to help wildlife populations in Africa, Pakistan, and New Zealand. He was like saying, I think you're right, but I'm, I'm, I have to sort of defend the position that I had created to start with. It's taken a lot to get to that point, right, of how, how we do that. But you guys are young, man. You guys have got, there's a lot of, there's a lot of road in front of you. And um, I appreciate, you know, the kind words that you've said about us and, and, and what we've, we've done at Blood Origins. And you guys are heading down the same road. Hope you're trying to. That would be amazing. It, look, it's, uh, it, it's not an easy road. Okay, it is, it's sort of heart and soul, passion, weekends, nights, all around the day jobs that you have right now. And, but if, if this is, you know, something you truly, truly, truly believe in, then you make it. And that's what we did. We yeah. out. So, yes. so, so like it, I uh read somewhere or that you had a phd in wetland ecology is that right sir am i wrong in that yep i have a phd in wetland ecology and aquatic biogeochemistry so like i what i'm curious is that like how and why was that switch and from like academia which is like a mainstream thing i'm sure wherever like in america it's a very like progressive thing it's pretty easy to access but then why the switch from that to like media and awareness and all that. Well, essentially, I think the way that I counted is that as an academic, I was creating media. I was creating publications, peer-reviewed publications, but it was for a very specific thing in a very specific forum. And even though I thought I was making a difference, I probably wasn't making any difference because nobody was seeing my work except for this very insular, narrow corridor exactly. of people that interacted with my research. 
And so even at the university level, I created a program called Reach, which is essentially the, the beta version of Blood Origins without me knowing it. And what Reach was is research and education to conserve habitat. Uh, yeah, research and education. Um, and what Reach did was it looked at farmers and interacted with farmers in one specific state, Mississippi, to say, hey, I want to showcase what you're doing for the environment as well as benefiting agriculture through best management practices that I was involved in from a water quality perspective. And so that was essentially Blood Origins. What I'm doing with Blood Origins is showcasing the good that is happening through a certain activity, which is hunting, now on a global stage. And the way to communicate that media now, today, is social media. Social media only came to life. If you look at the graphs, 2000 is the first cell phone, 2005-ish is the event of the camera on the cell phone. 2005 through today, we've only literally been living in a, in a social media age for the last 10, 15 years. And it's been on an exponential trajectory and it's not gonna stop anytime soon. And so that's how people are consuming content now, consuming information. And so if we, and I think that's where the hunting community sort of, sort of fell behind a little bit, in that all the way that we used to communicate up until 2005, and what we used to say, because in, up until 2005, we used to communicate just with hunters. And it was with trophy pictures. It was in magazines. All the things that typically no non-hunting audience ever got to see unless they bought the magazine. But today, that style of communication is still the same. We haven't changed. And because of that non, not changing, we are in the position we are right now. So that's what needs, to, that's why we did what we do. And I think a lot of, and I think the tide is turning. I think the tide is changing. I think people are seeing more stories. You're seeing more people talk about their why, talking about the adventure, talking about spirit and culture and religion and heritage and all that kind of stuff. So that's why. I, and I, it's just an extension of that, right? And now I've got the scientific acumen to be able to communicate data, to be able to communicate infographics, to be able to dissect a science paper. You know, even we may, I've got some thoughts about building some opinion pieces, some scientifically based opinion pieces on conceptual models or conceptual frameworks around how ecotourism yeah. and hunting can work together in a community-based manner, which is essentially the model of CBNRM in Africa that is the perfect model to be, if ever, um, used in a place like India, CBNRM is the, is the Absolutely. mechanism. Absolutely. So we had this, sorry, I'll just go off topic for just a second. We had this very big international wildlife conference back in May of this year in, in Kara National Park. And um, I, was, I was part of it. I, I was there with Charlie and with Jens and Rajiv and everybody. And um, it was an absolute experience because what we learned over there was we did present the idea of CBRM because there were representatives from Namibia as well. Um, Selma was there from, I think she's from the ministry. Um, 
of of tourism or environment from in Namibia, and you know they they presented their models, and while they were presenting, it was absolute perfection. You know when you when you logically apply it, the application of it was just seamless. Um, but the fear was was just magnificent. I mean, when Rajiv started his presentation, and I'm not kidding, guys, this is how it went down. So Rajiv started presenting, and he clicked on a button to show uh, an sort of explicit image of somebody who had been a victim of a tiger attack. And I'm not shitting you guys, four tables broke. They just magically, somehow, four tables, the legs of those tables came out, people's stuff on those tables fell down, as soon as he said the word hunting. And post that, it was just chaos. People were sh like, shut this. What are you trying to show us? What is this? They were gagging. Now, I understand that it can be uncomfortable, but you guys are scientists. I mean, I was the only filmmaker there. So for me, these were all experts in this field with great careers, with great responsibility, and they just outright rejected it. You know, so the application of it is absolutely right. CBRI was great. Uh, application of it would be fantastic. but. The response and the understanding of people over here is just, it's, it's decades back. So for me, I would say that let's not give that much weightage and importance to people. Let's just give weightage and importance to the people in authority. Take our concepts, take our policy change, amendment change, ideas, research papers, films. Let's take it to these guys because they can apply it. And, you know, public opinion can be fought when the court case actually happens. Anyway, court cases in India last 30 years on an average. <laughs> so, you know, I, yeah. Well, good. Listen, we're going to follow you. We're going to follow your journey, man. Uh, you guys are just at the beginning. So let me, let me do this. Let me uh, give everyone just last final words that you want to communicate out? I'll start with you, Brian. Let's go top right, Brian. Yes. Uh, final words. I don't know, like, for all of us, Wild Origins, <laughs> we're going to be doing a lot of other stuff other than just hunting, like, because hunting is, like, one of the topics that we all started bonding over, but then we're going to be doing a lot of other stuff. Wild. Uh, so, yeah, all of us are not all I want to say now. Vivia? Yes, I would say that, of course, follow us. We are the Wild Origins on Instagram only at the moment. Follow us and give us a shout out, whatever. But please understand we are not trying to be your enemy or make enemies out of anybody. And we are in this process to learn with everybody watching. So we would be changing our ways of communicating, um, but also be open to what we're talking about because, like, everything as in, alternate side to an alternate reality to it. So just be open. Prish? They would say the same thing. Yeah. Go like follow us and like talk to us. I mean if you or like uh or, like want us to talk about some topic, like we can discuss that as well. And yeah. Let's grow together. So the wild origins on one word, the wild origins on Instagram. 
Check them out. Three young guys pushing the wildlife conservation message out of India. Um, much appreciate you boys. You guys have a wonderful rest of your Friday. Don't get into trouble this weekend in Delhi, Bombay, and Brian, wherever you are in South India, okay? Cheers, Lori. Thanks. <laughs> I'm in London right now, so I'm safe. <laughs> well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.